0: Here's Christoph with today's episode. Let's go.
1: Hey, business storytellers. How's it going? Christoph Trapp here, your host and author of Content and Performance Culture. Uh, it looks like everything is working just fine for another live stream recording, if that's the correct term, of the Business Storytelling Podcast. We're live on Periscope, YouTube, LinkedIn, and Facebook um and you know there you go that should be enough to uh round out this um friday what day is it who knows nobody remembers what day it is anymore i don't think um today i want to talk about irrational loyalty and loyalty is an interesting thing of course and and many marketers out there um want to uh, you know they want to have loyal customers so how do we do that and how do we move forward in these uh, interesting times so today's guest uh, Depp Gabor. Depp, how's it going? Good. How are you? Hanging in there. It's definitely Friday, or as I like to say, Friday.
0: Friday. Yes. T G I F F F F F F F.
1: Something like
0: that. So tell me about,
1: uh, you wrote the book, Irrational Loyalty, and, and you guys can check that book out. Uh, ctrap.online forward slash Depp sends you right over to Amazon. Um, hopefully uh, take a look there. If you like, we'll have the link up in a little bit here. Uh, What prompts you to write the book? What's the irrational fear and what what do people need to know?
0: Um, Yeah, a couple of things. Actually, Irrational Loyalty is my second book. The first book that I wrote is called Branding is Sex. Get your customer laid and sell the hell out of anything. Yes, I am the person who's crazy enough to use both the words sex and laid in the title of the book. And I'll tell you, it it sells like crazy. But Irrational Loyalty was sort of the follow up to that book, which the that book is all about the idea that brands are not about your company or your product. Your your brand really is about the people who use it and that the best brands in the world are the ones that elevate a person's self-concept and actually become part of the person who they are and help that person be a hero in their own story. What irrational loyalty is and what prompted me to write that book is that based on the success of Branding as Sex, um, I I somehow miraculously became the world's resident authority on botched corporate apologies and brand disasters. And between about 2016 and 2018, when Irrational Loyalty came out, I I watched brands really, really... Uh, break their promises to customers and disrupt their emotional connections and relationships that they have with their customers. Uh, and, And, you know, some of them like went up in flames. Others of them are continuing to be smoldering dumpster fires and irrational loyalty. It really talks about this condition where customers are so indelibly bonded to a brand that they would feel like they were cheating on it. If they were to choose something else, that's the definition of a rational loyalty. So watching all of these brands implode and some of them, you know, like blow up instantly and other brands endure lots of different types of turbulence, I came to understand what are the characteristics of those brands that help them survive disaster and be strong in the face of crisis and engender the quality of irrational loyalty, which, which protects them in times of badness. So uh, irrational loyalty, building a brand that thrives in turbulent times, is almost like a book that foreshadowed what's going on today. And so, um, yeah, I can talk about like what are, the, what are the qualities that the best brands in the world have, the ones that engender this quality of irrational loyalty and how they get it.
1: Yeah, let's talk about that in a, in a, in a second. Uh, but certainly, so you mentioned uh, it's like you're cheating on the
0: brands. Brands can engender what is sort of equivalent to the interpersonal relationship that you might have with a spouse or with a child or something like that, where the bonds of that relationship are strengthened whenever you behave on values, on expectation, in an aligned way, on brand, if you will, for that relationship, you strengthen that that relationship. You do something extra. Let's say, for instance, you bring home a pizza from work and uh, you know a bunch of booze and, and you throw a party for your spouse. Like You earn extra points. But you have this emotional bank account between you and the people that you love, and they have one back. You have a shared bank account. And every time you behave on values, on expectation, you deposit into this bank account. Now, this is the thing that protects you, Christoph when you do a really bad job of loading the dishwasher. Like this prevents your spouse from kicking you out on your ear, right? And and brands are able to engender that same quality. And and truly, that's what, even in the worst times, keeps people from cheating on them and choosing an alternative brand. And of course,
1: I think I heard you on Nick Westergaard's podcast, perhaps. You talked about your first book, right? That's maybe where Probably, I Probably, yeah, yeah. So, of course, Nick's been on the show and, and make sure you uh, listen to that whole episode uh, on brand. That's the name of his. Uh, yeah, podcast. I have his book.
0: It's like I think it's like right over here behind me. Yeah. Right so.
1: behind you. Awesome. Yep. Small world, small world for sure. Um, so let's back up for a second, though. How did you become
0: what did you call it? The expert of botched corporate apologies. Yeah, the expert of botch corporate apologies and brand disasters. Uh, you know, there's this interesting thing that happens when you write a book, mm-hmm. right? I, you know, like, you know this, you become, a, you, you write a book, and then uh, suddenly, you, you have the credibility, not that my 30 years of like branding and marketing experience is, an, is not enough. But um, I, I wrote a book with a really provocative, cheeky title, and uh, uh, suddenly was invited into conversations that I previously wasn't really playing a part in, Um, and I became the world's resident authority on botched corporate apologies and brand disasters due in large part to two main brands, one of those being Pepsi and the other one being United Airlines. So if you remember this fateful week back in, I want to say it was like the winter of 2017, uh, where United Airlines dragged that poor Dr. David Dow off an airplane on a Friday night, when you know, God bless him, he was just trying to get get home so he could go to his shift at the hospital the next morning. During that same week that that happened, and we saw the Twitter video that you know was the shot heard around the world, and it took United Airlines 48 hours before they responded to it. And when they did, they responded in a 140 character tweet that seemed to be written by by a committee of lawyers, etc. Lost 355 million dollars worth of value in one afternoon. Uh, in their stock that same week was also the week that Pepsi put out this very, very poorly conceived and executed and timed ad featuring Kendall Jenner, who is the very epitome of white privilege, seemingly solving all of the concerns about racial injustice in the United States by giving a police officer a Pepsi. Both of those things happened in the same week. And the media was looking for somebody who could talk about what's happening to these brands, what's going to be the long term impact, what can companies learn from this so that they can prevent this kind of disaster from happening to themselves. And over the course of that week alone, I did something close to 150 interviews with everybody from like the New York Times to the Washington Post and um, That's how I became the world's best authority on botched corporate apologies and brand disasters. And uh, it's been it's just been a topic that that I've been watching and and writing about and commenting on. And, and, you know, I also have a I also have a business, a company where we do brand strategy and and we apply those learnings and, and what we learned from big brand disasters and also big brand triumphs. I talk about that stuff, too, how we can apply that to our own clients.
1: Yeah, I vaguely remember that week. That seems like a long time ago today. Uh, I know um, that
0: also. Like that same week, it was Pepsi, Kendall Jenner, and Sean Spicer were the big stories oh, that um, week. So it was like all it was like this convergence of of goodness slash badness all at once. It certainly gave us a lot to talk about with regard to branding, and really accelerated the need for this conversation about irrational loyalty.
1: So a uh, quick question for you um, before we get back to what makes a, a brand that can actually demand that irrational loyalty or whatever better term you have. Um, so you've done a lot of earned media, really, right? The expert out there. Uh, and we had Amanda Milligan on the show with Fractal. She talked about um, how do you get earned media? Very interesting um, show If you want, if you guys want to listen to that. But talk about the business impact when you have that many interviews. How does it... How does it affect business? I mean, is it because people now know you, you're the expert or how how does it translate?
0: Yeah, in a couple of different ways. Um, you know, I I look at marketing very much as this like integrated thing where you need to have contact content at all parts of the decision-making process for the people who would buy what you want to buy. And so, um that earned media, like every time I get a media hit, I appear on somebody's show, I write something for Fortune, or I get quoted in an article, or whatever. Every time that happens, like there, there are new audiences who are becoming aware of me, and um, in some cases, that's turned directly into having people pick up the phone and call me. Sometimes it turns into somebody goes and looks me up to find out what company, what company do I work for, or you know, goes and and maybe reads a review of one of my books or purchases a copy of one of those books or whatever. And, and, and they become aware of me and they form an image of me. Um, But one of the things that I'm really proud that, that I've been able to do that I, that I encourage other experts and uh, authors and, you know, visual storytellers, people who have some expertise to share with the world uh, is I've done a really good job of like thoughtfully and deliberately using my expertise uh, in a way that monetizes, not necessarily selling my expertise, but but using it in a really, really coordinated way to share my point of view and my experience and my ideas and my methodologies with other people for free without asking for anything in return. So like in a, in a really non-obligatory, guileless kind of way, it's a way for me to share my expertise. What I have found, especially during the last six months dealing with the pandemic, is that Um, The more I give, the more I get from that, that earned media and from all of that activity of sharing my expertise with other people without asking for anything in return. What I've been able to do is cultivate like a really large and engaged community of people who are now leaning forward and telling us what they want to buy from us, which... Um, you know, really is the essence of like, what is the role of earned media Um, as a company? We don't do any paid media at all because we don't need to. Right. So that earned media does a couple of things. One is like it creates that halo of awareness. Two is that it helps drive some inbound. Three is we can use that earned media and repurpose it in different ways to nurture Leads and contacts that we already have who haven't yet bought, but we can use that to give to them by repurposing it, repackaging it, atomizing it, putting it in front of them in different ways um, to give to them, you know, a second and third time so that eventually they're qualifying themselves as buyers and and then telling us what they want to buy from us. It's been it's been really fascinating Um You know, being able to like continue to get that earned media at first, you know, we were proactively pitching to the media. Here are stories you should be telling. And here's our point of view on, you know, what like what those things should say. And none of this stuff, by the way, is an advertisement for our company. Like none of it is. This is all just sharing expertise. Um, Now the tables have really turned and I'm on speed dial for top tier business media when they are writing about issues of brand. And so my phone rings all the time. And, you know, that's, that's another way that I get to share my expertise. Is that what you were looking for in terms of an answer to that question?
1: Yeah, a little off topic here, but of course, very interesting. I know people, people do care about that. Um, that topic. I'm just It's looking. the one
0: thing that people ask me about the most. They're like, huh. how, how did you, like, how did you establish such a, a big footprint in this space? It's, it's fascinating. So.
1: Yeah and of course you got to add value otherwise journalists don't talk to you right, right For the most exactly. part Um so let's talk about um irresistible not irresistible what was it irrational irrational loyalty yeah irrational so is this like an example of when when somebody comes to me and they says oh take a look at my new android phone and i say oh get out of here uh, I'm an Apple fanboy or whatever
0: a hundred percent yeah it's, it's so irrational loyalty, I am also irrationally loyal to eye thingies, right? like I've probably mm-hmm. had every eye thingy that Apple has ever made uh to the point that you know I am one of those people who stood in line overnight to get into the store to get my hands on a brand new thing. I'm not even their target audience. I am not their ideal client by by any stretch of the imagination. Irrational loyalty is that thing, christoph, like what what you said. Um, my irrational loyalty for Apple products extends to that when I get a text message from someone with an I, with a, with a, uh, Android phone and I see their green text bubbles, it like just makes me feel gross. So uh, back in the day, a couple of years ago, you know, Samsung came out with a, a competing product to the iPhone. It looked and functioned just like the iPhone. It was so close to the iPhone that like these two companies, Apple and Samsung were suing each other. Right. And I went to the Best Buy. I was like, what the heck, I'm going to go try out this Samsung phone. And I went, I talked to an educated, very well versed, adorable salesperson who told me everything about it. And I learned that that Samsung Galaxy S whatever that was, was functionally superior to my iPhone. It had faster memory, it had more durable glass, it had better performance, it had more features and functions in a big ecosystem. Um, it had, you know, it it was $200 to $300 cheaper than the current iPhone at the time. Uh, it was certainly more available and more accessible. I didn't have to wait in line or wait for the next version of it to come out and sit in a lawn chair overnight in front of Best Buy to get into the store. Yet, when I held it in my hand, I felt dirty. And and that's because I didn't like what using an Android phone was going to say about me as a human being. Because the things that you buy, that you eat, that you drink, that you wear, the phones you use, the cars that you drive, they all say something about you as a person, not just to other people, but to yourself. And that's one of the main things that creates this condition of irrational loyalty, Irrational loyalty. So if you've ever identified as I'm a I'm a Mac or I'm a PC, if you remember that old campaign or you've identified I'm an iPhone person, I'm an Android person or I'm a Coke person or a Pepsi person, you know, you know, people who are like fervently Coke people would never let a Pepsi cross their lips. Right. They just assume leave a restaurant before drinking Pepsi. Um, Or they would drink milk directly from the cow if they were forced to drink Pepsi, you know. Um, If you've ever self-identified as having a brand as part of your identity, then you know what the condition of irrational loyalty is. Because irrational loyalty is the thing that allows Apple to charge this massive premium for something that is functionally inferior to the closest competitor. Does that make sense? Of course, and so, but,
1: but, where's the difference? so I'm trying to think how do I what am I telling people? what am I telling myself by being an apple fanboy, and you know, I got the headphones in right now, I got the airpods over there, I got the uh, Apple watch right here, right? <laughs> I mean, if they had the glasses, I probably would wear the glasses um, but I mean am am I an apple fan or am I just it's working great. I you know, I know how to use it. It's all now syncing. I uh my daughter has find my
0: phone. Yes, I can totally track my 12-year-old daughter. Those are all functional she's... benefits. Those are functional benefits mm-hmm. and functional benefits can always be imitated, right? Mm-hmm. I always like to think of things in terms of like when you're buying a car. So I drive a mid luxury SUV. And, and we use this construct in our business. It's called the brand values pyramid, which is a little bit like Maslow's hierarchy of needs for brands. And so when you think about the category of midsize luxury SUV, there's a bunch of stuff that's required in order to be considered a luxury midsize SUV. It's got to have it has to have wheels and it has to have a steering wheel and it has to have its luxury, right? It has to have leather seats. Uh, uh, You wouldn't buy a car in 2021, not even like 2019, 2018 that didn't have Bluetooth as standard equipment. It's got to have power door locks, power windows, power steering, 12 point restraint system. All those kinds of things are the functional requirements that are the ante to get into the category to be considered a whatever in whatever category that is. Right. All of those things are imitatable because everyone in the category has to have them. So, Christoph, I don't know if you are old enough to remember this, but I am the very, very first car that I purchased for myself with my own money. Power door locks and power windows were an options package that I paid extra for. And that was in about, I don't know, 1991 or something like that. You know, very soon after that, power door locks and power windows, power steering, all those things became standard equipment. As soon as it becomes standard equipment for one brand, it becomes standard equipment for the entire category. That's why all those functional things you're talking about that are, if the proprietary proven technology behind them is not imitatable, the benefit of those things always is. And those are not the things that create a brand. The things that create a brand are the self-expressive benefits of the brand. You have chosen Apple not, be- not just because it works. There's other stuff out there that makes it work. There's a story behind the story of the brand that's something that resonates with you. And it's something that has to do with the brand's singularity. So the best brands in the world, the ones that create irrational loyalty – They are singular. They, and meaning that they're not just different, they're unique. And the best brands in the world, legendary brands like across all time, are truly unique in that there is something about those brands that is only ownable by them. And there are competitors who can come close, but they will never be that brand. That is the stuff that makes, let's say, a Cadillac, a Cadillac and not a crappy Mazda right it those those are the things and they're they're intangible it blows people's mind you know when they think about the existence of these things because you can't most of the time you can't hold them in your hand you can't quantify them they're they're very very difficult to describe But those are the things that provide that self-expressive benefit, which helps you tell a story to the world about yourself, but more importantly, elevates your own self-concept. So Christoph, when you use things that come from the Apple ecosystem that all seamlessly connect with one another, and everyone in your family is using it, and you can all keep track of each other, and you're on the same happy Apple platform and all that kind of stuff, there's a job (laughs) behind the job that you hired that stuff to do you, you look smart, you look savvy, you you look, you look like you're a little bit ahead of everybody else. Because you know what the old fashioned way of doing all that is like picking up the phone and trying to call your kid and figure out where they are. So um, that's the essence. That's truly the essence of branding and the brands that create that irrational loyalty, which gives you the ability to charge more for your stuff. It gives you a a route to more sustainable and faster profitability because you can sell more, you can engender that loyalty where people are bought into the brand and they'll buy anything that you sell. And it gives you relentless focus so that you can grow your business in a more effective way.
1: And talking about looking smart and uh, good, good transition right there, Deb. Um, We Just a quick reminder for everybody watching on the live stream, we are using Switcher Studios for the live stream and then it, that's feeding into WeStream. so if you wanted to use switcher studios which is it's a good brand it works on my ipad trap one gets you one month off um so please check that out um, so i
0: should write that down because i just got approved to broadcast on linkedin live and we're evaluating oh, the, we're yes. evaluating the different platforms so that's that's good to know
1: trap one switcher studio gets you one month Um, And that ties in with uh, LinkedIn Live. That's how we're broadcasting right now on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm a big fan of doing all those channels at once, obviously. So Mm -hmm. I want people to be irrationally loyal to my brand. How how do I do it? What's the secret sauce? And, uh, you know, how, how do we get there?
0: It, you know what? It's it's actually it's a four step process. It's it's pretty easy, and and this is something that you can learn from the best brands in the world. And by the way, if you if you are watching or listening to this, um, this applies to brands that serve other businesses. This applies to brands that serve com- consumers. This applies to products, services. It does not matter. You don't have to be a luxury brand. You don't have to be a down market brand. This is every brand. You could be a solopreneur. You could be a content creator. You could be an author, an expert, a speaker, all three, whatever. These principles always, always, always apply. So the first thing in engendering that quality of irrational loyalty, Christoph, is that you have to aim your brand at a singular, ideal, archetypal customer. We call this the ideal customer. This is another one of those concepts that people push back on all the time. But you build your brand for the singular customer who is most highly predictive of your success. When you think about who is the customer that my whatever is made for, that's who you're thinking about. The the idea of doing this is that it gives you a lot of focus. And when I say make a make a profile of your ideal customer, I am talking an actual Human being, and it's one person. So I sometimes ask people, I'm like, who's your ideal customer? And they tell me, they're like, it's busy moms. Well, I, you know, one of the things that I do when it's not COVID time is I travel all over the world speaking to huge groups of people. I could stand in front of an audience of a thousand people and say, everyone in this room who identifies as a busy mom, please raise your hand. 700 people are going to raise their hand. Yet when I look across that audience, I see people of different ages, I see people who have different numbers of kids. And the kids are of different ages. They live in different places. They have different socioeconomic backgrounds. They have different values and beliefs and goals for their lives. And so the goal is to dial in to the point that you can close your eyes and actually picture who this person is, that ideal customer. This gives you just relentless focus on who your brand is for. And what you're looking for is more to screen out the people that you don't care about how does this play out in real life? If you've ever been watching late night TV and a television commercial comes on for something where you're like, I don't know what the heck that thing is. I have no idea who would use this. Clearly I'm not the target audience. That's because you're not the target audience. You are not the ideal customer for that particular brand, right? Every minute you spend marketing to a customer that is not your ideal customer is money wasted. So that's step one, ideal customer. Steps two, three, and four are what I call the brand swagger questions. It's just answering these three questions. So I told you that the best brands in the world are the ones that become part of the person who uses them. We ask the question, so that ideal customer, what does it say about her or him that they use this brand? So what does it say about your ideal customer, Christoph? that they consume your content, that they go to you, that undeniably you are their number one source for information about storytelling in business. So that's question number one. What does it say about them that they use your brand? The second question that you asked, and this is the question about singularity because the best brands in the world are singular. They're not just different because different like Different means that you're that you're competing with other people. Singular means that you stand alone, that you're not like anyone else, that you can uniquely bond with people in a way where you can own that relationship in a way that no one else can. You ask the question, what's the one thing, the one thing that customers get from our brand that they can't get from anyone else? I have a hint for you here. It is never a feature because features can always be imitated. Remember what I said about power door locks, power windows, power steering. There's today's standard equipment. Today's options packages are tomorrow's standard equipment. So your singularity has to be something about the core DNA of your brand. And so that's really like the only meaningful differentiation is to be singular. And then the third question, this is the branding is sex question. The third question goes like this. So every single person in this world who is using your brand is trying to create a story for his or her life where they are the hero, that they go through the journey, they succeed, they get to the top of the mountain, they win the prize, they get the guy, they get the girl, they, they are the one that wins. They're the protagonist. How does your brand make them the hero in their story? And that's how, you, that's how you create a brand that creates this condition of irrational loyalty because all of these questions, answering these questions, aiming your brand at a singular ideal customer allows you to identify like what are the values and beliefs of the people that you serve and how do you align with those because your brand is a magnet that's designed to attract those people who share those values and beliefs to you. So that you can bond with them through these bonds of irrational loyalty that will protect you in times of turbulence, like what we're going through right now. So that's it. One, two, three, four. Easy
1: enough in theory, right? But just like losing weight, um, just because I know how to do it doesn't mean I can do it. I still have to. Uh, do the work, right, so to speak. It,
0: exactly. I mean, that's you know that that's how I make my living is is helping organizations like actually go through that process. Now, if you're like if you're an individual practitioner, you're a professional, you're a solopreneur, you're a small business, you're an entrepreneur, you can go through this process yourself. And actually, branding is sex is the how to book, and it'll walk you through exactly how to do it and all these methodologies that I've talked about here today. Larger companies that have a lot at stake to get it right and are really looking to scale typically work with an organization like mine, where we help do like very, very in-depth, you know, qualitative and quantitative discovery, because you know what, it's not enough to answer those questions in a vacuum, right? You mm-hmm. actually have to go out and you have to get the input of your your audience. Sometimes you don't know who the ideal customer is. I'll tell you a hundred percent of the time I run a services business and I, you know, i I've, I've been involved with this company for 17 years. Every time we're working with someone who isn't our ideal customer, I know it because the people I work with are literally like losing clumps of hair and they're sitting at their desks rocking back and forth and crying, right? Um, that That is a hint that I need to go out and have some conversations because the market has shifted. People have changed. And I have news for you that is as a result of this pandemic situation, which seems to have like no end, human beings have been, fundamentally changed by this experience and if you haven't thought about your brand before you haven't thought about it in a long time now is the right time to actually be thinking about really creating that very very powerful story that conveys the core dna of your brand through this lens of values and beliefs because your customers have changed whether you serve businesses or you serve consumers directly people are people They're not nameless, faceless automatons and data points. They're not clicks and conversions. They are human beings. And now is the time to humanize marketing. The best way to humanize marketing is by developing a brand that is inclusive of your customer and their beliefs.
1: And, of course, we did have uh, this show with J.J. Peterson. If you guys want to go back to that one, he talked about – I I never understood the term, why would the customer be the hero? What does that mean, right? But J.J. explained that really well. And basically the way you turn it is – Here's what I can do for you. Here's how I'm helping you. Here's how I make your life easier. Um, or and even,
0: even more than that, here's how you are going to succeed in your yes. life, right? I work with a lot of technology brands, like specifically like B2B technology brands that most people just glaze over about. The less sexy the business, the more successful we can be with them because... Mm-hmm. They have a tendency to just communicate about what they do. Speeds, feeds, bits, bites, how many hops to a tier one network. That's the kind of stuff that they love to talk about, right? That's the kind of stuff that makes human beings glaze over. However, if you're Dell Corporation, which is one of the companies that we work with, uh, you know, they have the ability to tell people, here's how you have the power to do more. Experience more be better at your job be seen as more innovative be the leader in your industry by smartly using technology to help you accelerate time to market and improve profitability and be more productive and serve your customers better which like whether you're selling or you're marketing, when it is coming from the point of view and through the lens of your ideal customer, the marketing is just that much more successful because the brain craves stories, right? And a brand is your story. Your, your brand is like the split second story that people know everything about you. If I told you that I drove to this office today driving a Ford F-150 truck, Christoph, you would know something about me. You, you will instantaneously make up a story about me don't leave customers hanging trying to figure out who the heck you are build a brand that's inclusive of them that elevates them in their life so that they understand instantaneously on the on the first response to your brand exactly how that brand is going to help elevate them in their lives and you know uh, the the brain needs to feel something to do something. Most decisions are not made in the language or mathematical processing areas of the brain. Most decisions are made, like we talk about gut level decisions and we talk about decisions made with our heart. So decisions are made with the mind, the heart, the wallet, uh, the, the genitals, if you will. Um, Scott Galloway wrote a great book about this where he talks about apple owning the genitals. And as you move down the body, Uh, the margins getting bigger. And that's absolutely the truth. That is because the brain, we only have like 2% of people's awareness to even speak to because 98% of what the brain is doing is like digesting your lunch or metabolizing the booze that you drank last night. You only have 2% of people's brains to work with. And then 95% of buying decisions happen outside of the, the, part of the brain that, that does the calculations, right? So you have to make people feel something to do something. And truly, that's the role of branding. And again, that's whether you sell to other businesses, or you sell to consumers, you're selling services, you're selling products, you're a small business, you're a big business, you got to make people feel something to do something and brand is the easiest way to do it.
1: And certainly, that's why you need a good content strategy, a good marketing strategy to stay in front of
0: people absolutely because they need to understand how do i incorporate this into my life and and how do i you know how do i see myself in this brand and this brand in me what are all of the different ways and then great content strategy is going to make sure that that brand story is being woven through each mm-hmm. level i guess they don't even talk about it as the funnel anymore but like it's the the content process if you will but you know through through the discovery period and education and when you're comparing things, like people need to be able to put themselves inside a brand and put the brand inside of them because ultimately you want people to become the brand.
1: Very interesting. Deb, it was great to have you on the show. Lots of good insights shared. Um, hopefully people can take them uh, on and, and implement them themselves. And of course, check out uh, Deb's book, um, the URL, the link still is online forward slash Deb, um, Deb, where else can people find you or connect with you?
0: Best way to find me, debgabor.com. I'm on all the internet things. Um, (laughs) Even if you just do a Google search for debgabor, you will find me. I'm very, very findable, but debgabor.com. There's links to, you can download chapters from both of my books. There are also like replays of a bunch of interesting online sessions that I've done, free digital downloads, lots of ways to get in touch with me. And I hope Um, I hope that people who are watching this, like you, you want to reach out and then please mention where, where you found out and, and we can make sure that we give Kristoff credit for that as well.
1: All right. Thanks for joining me and thanks everyone for listening until next time. That's a wrap. Thanks for tuning in. Please rate and review our show on your favorite podcast channels.
0: And don't forget to share this episode with your networks. We appreciate you. Until next time, let the best stories win.